Good afternoon from London and a very big welcome to our global audience, uh, wherever you might be connecting to the stream today. Uh, we're delighted to be hosting this conversation and to have convened a panel that is uh, uh, absolutely bursting with expertise. Uh, my name is Louise Shackson. I'm the director of the Digital Societies program here at ODI, and I'm going to be chairing today's webinar, which is part of a series of events focused on um, young people's engagement with digital technologies. And these events have been hosted uh, over the last year through the Youth Forward Learning Partnership, um, building on a seven-year initiative that's supported by the MasterCard Foundation, uh, which aims to improve youth livelihoods in sub-Saharan Africa. And last July, um, there was an online global consultation which explored how young people and youth-focused initiatives use technology to respond to the pandemic. And more recently, there was a second consultation focused on digital innovation and, and resilience. And what we found from those two consultations was that, um, was that young people are using technology very creatively to come up with solutions to local problems and to adapt and innovate in time of crisis brought about by the pandemic. But of course, as I think we all know, infrastructure gaps, there are data costs, there's unequal access to tech devices um, and unequal access to training. And that restricts young people's internet exposure and the development of their digital skills. And what the young people highlighted to us in those consultations was that across many African countries, um, digital innovation ecosystems remain unevenly developed and under-resourced. And so in this context, I think perhaps the big question is, how can we prepare young people for the future of work? And more importantly, how can their experiences be harnessed to design policy that supports digital innovation for youth and by youth? Um, I mean, there are you know, tech hubs from Nairobi to Addis Ababa to um, Cape Town are flourishing. Job tech platforms are playing a central role in this emerging digital ecosystem. And actually, COVID-19 has really catalyzed the growth of the African gig economy. And this is helping young people find work and innovate and build their businesses. But there's a lack of protection for digital workers and there are still stubborn inequalities that persist. And you know, young people are they're not only tomorrow's innovators, they're today's leading tech users. So um, their needs and their experiences have a critical role to play in shaping our digital future. And that's what this webinar is about. So we're gonna hear from leading players in the job tech and innovation space uh, to learn what can be done to ensure that the advantages of technology can um, benefit everyone. Um, I just, before we begin today's session, um, I'm really happy to share that we've had over 260 people sign up for this from uh, over 20 countries, which is making this a, a truly global conversation. And we would like to encourage plenty of exchange between our wonderful audience and our the star speakers that we've got for you. So please, there's a Slido box um, below this live stream. And please use that to send in your questions to our guests and we'll come to those during the Q&A segment. So we're gonna have speakers first and then a, then a Q&A segment. So hold your questions. Um, you can direct your questions to each speaker, but if you don't mind just um, popping them in the chat and then we'll be able to get to them when we, um, when we get to the Q&A. And if you're on Twitter, uh, we will be live tweeting from the Digital Society's ODI account, and we're just posting the Twitter handle in the chat box now. So do tag us and and uh, and, and join the conversation. Um, so let's get started. Um, very excited to introduce our first speaker, uh, who is Bethlehem Desi. And Bethlehem is an Ethiopian uh, web and mobile technologies developer and a tech activist, and she's currently chief advisor at ICOG Labs, which is an AI research and development company we've just lost Bethlehem from the video um, I hope we can get her back I'm going to carry on talking about her um, in the hope that she'll that we'll we'll get her back uh, where was it ICOG Labs yes so ICOG Labs is uh, it's an AI research and development company based in Addis Ababa um, and Bethlehem is also founder and CEO of ICOG Anyone Can Code uh, which is a company with a mission to create a tech ecosystem where young children are provided with the skills needed for the 20th, for the 20th century, 21st century. Um, and since March this year, Bethlehem has also been an advisory board member of Africa No Filter. And this is a donor collaborative that supports the development of um, some very nuanced and contemporary stories that sort of shift stereotypical and harmful narratives within and about Africa. And in 2018, Bethlehem was named the youngest pioneer in Ethiopia's fast emerging tech scene um, by CNN. And these are some pretty impressive accolades, Bethlehem. So we're delighted to have you with us. 
And so given all of that experience um, and your expertise, what do we need to do to support all young people um, so that they can develop the critical skills early on in their lives that will enable them to fully and effectively engage with data and technology? Let me start by asking you that. Uh, thank you very much, Louise. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm really, I'm really happy to be part of this webinar. So, um, in order to give the full picture, I want to give you a bit more context about how we came about creating iCoke Anyone Can Code. So, um, iCoke Anyone Can Code is a subsidiary of uh, iCoke Labs, which is an artificial intelligence and robotics research company based in Ethiopia. Uh, we're famously known for our contribution for Sophia the Robot. And we also work with a lot of uh, international organizations and companies in developing uh, AI tools for them. So when I first actually was introduced to iCog Labs, my intention was to go there and you know knowledge transfer, build AI tools, build great things. Uh, but eventually what we understood was it was becoming harder and harder for us to scale, not because we couldn't find clients from abroad, but because the talent pool we had was not enough uh, for our needs. Uh, mind you, this is a very high-end uh, kind of skill sets we need in artificial intelligence development and robotics. So we said, no, we already have this internship program going on, which we bring in a lot of um, interns from different universities in Ethiopia, and we conduct a six-month kind of training using different online courses. But out of the 100 people that were coming in, only one or two would remain. So we said, okay, what's the real problem? Why aren't this youth having those skill sets that we need in order to deliver these uh, global products that we have. So we said, okay, let's go back to the universities and see what kind of problems uh, they're, fa they're facing. So one of the first program we launched is actually a robo soccer competition where, uh, you know, robots would play soccer because soccer is the most loved game in Ethiopia, uh, sport in Ethiopia. And we said, okay, how can we integrate that fun element into tech and also uh, interest to use in that. But we also saw that it doesn't only start there. The problem doesn't only come from there. We understood that the critical thinking skills we need, the problem solving skills and analytical thinking skills needed to be developed at a very younger age. So that's why we started uh, iCoke Anyone Can Code. It was with the belief that we need to give opportunity to young people, especially children, to have you know, the necessary skill sets to compete in the 21st century. And when we talk about the 21st century, we don't necessarily know what jobs are going to be created, um, what things are going to come up. But what we know for sure is that we need to know how to learn. We need to know how to solve problems we're faced with. So um, that was a uh, the main um, idea when we started iCoke Anyone Can Code. So as I mentioned, the initial problem was to kind of find our talent source. And we knew that, you know, teaching children would be kind of a long-term um, long plan. But we also thought, you know, we're not going to hire all of these people who are going to come out of the program. Uh, some of them need to become innovators. Some need to become, need to work in other companies. But how do we encourage also innovation and entrepreneurship through the programs we develop. So based from our own personal experiences and uh, the, you know, the different work that we do, we said, okay, how can we have the best impact possible? And the best way to do that was to have decentralized access to technology education. This meant providing platform, pro providing training, providing support and resources for youth and kids outside of Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. So that's how all of this started. And because of this, we have learned a lot of things is that the youth and the kids just need an opportunity. They just need to someone to say, okay, here's a platform for you to grow. Here's a platform for you to create and they'll be able to utilize it to create amazing innovations and unique solutions. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's um, kind of our journey and how we become to kind of better understand how to involve the youth in the creation and innovation process. 
That's super interesting, Bethlehem, and, and um, I like the point that you're making about how young people are, you know, they're really making sort of unique solutions. And I'm presuming that, you know, there's quite a difference between urban and rural areas, and so it's the locality of the solutions that all that's that, that's also important. Um, and if you're talking about um, solutions being local, how can we then ensure that that the youth voice is heard, that the the rural youth voice is heard as well as the urban youth voice, and young Young people are more meaningfully involved in shaping policy around sort of digital entrepreneurship and, and job creation. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, just to give a bit more context about what we mean by local solutions, I want to give you this example of um, a young uh, uh, a young Ethiopian who came about this product. So through our programs we deliver design thinking skills also business development skills and one of the tools uh, he developed was kind of an uber for milk kind of solution so what the solution he uh, the problem he saw was okay he would go to the city ask for a latte but they would ask they would tell him oh there's not enough milk so we cannot serve you any of that but he knows that back home that there's a lot of milk that's going bad and th there are a lot of people who are not getting customers to buy their milk so basically what he did was he collected the data the location of uh, the people who are producing milk and he collect uh, he calculated the shortest distance to collect that milk and then he was able to make a business of delivering those milk and you know making a living for himself so it's kind of interesting to see what kind of solutions uh, this use come up with because uh, we usually it's always like okay here's the solution and use the solution and then maybe customize it it's not usually okay here are the tools for you to create the solution here here is the resources you need for the solution and i think because of these programs we didn't exactly tell them oh you have to do this and that but we said okay here are the skill sets you need here are the solutions that uh, the i mean the the tools that you need to create the solutions because we don't really understand the problems unless we live in it and i think that's a very important part of empowering the youth to become creators empowering the youth to you know speak up their voices and come up with solutions because nowadays it might it, it you need courage to actually come up with any type of startup or any type of uh, technology solution because there's a lot of them being created a lot of being uh, of them being innovated in ecosystems that are much larger much you know um older uh, silicon valley or anything in europe or in china but when you look back and see the kind of solutions that the youth are creating, we need to provide them with ecosystems that are sustainable and uh, that are very supportive to their creative process. And that is a thank you, Bethlehem, and that's a brilliant introduction um, for our next speaker, uh, Nikesa Wery. Um, and I think she's going to have um, quite a lot to say about, um, you know, to, to add to what you've just said. Um, so Nikesa is the Director of Strategy at AfriLabs and she's responsible for developing and executing the strategy to ensure a thriving innovation economy in Africa. Um, and driven by the pretty uh, impressive power of the AfriLabs network of 268 innovation centers in 49 African countries, I think I've got that right. Um, and Nikesa also works as a strategy advisor at SNDBX and this is a collection of SME uh, experts who are working together to ensure sustainable growth for SMEs across Africa. So combining this this tech and this and this enterprise approach. Um, and I should say that prior to this, um, Nikesa was actually managing director of iHub Nairobi, and she led an open innovation culture that was uh, that was integral in ensuring the quick maturity of Kenya's innovation uh, ecosystem. So fantastic. Um, I think moving on from from Bethlehem to Nikesa, and Nikesa, um, I've got a specific sort of question for you, which is, you provide leadership on several boards, so you have a really good oversight of of the system and the system that that Bethlehem talks about, you know, needing to be developed. So from that perspective, what do you think are the key roles that hubs and innovation centres can play in creating these sorts of changes, and how can they best support young people to be innovators? Um, thanks, Louise, and it's a pleasure to be here. So, hubs have several roles. Um, I, I think 
today when we talk about hubs and, and restrict them to the number of startups that come out of them, uh, most of the successful startups, uh, we are doing them a huge disservice. Uh, for close to two decades now, within the African context at least, we've had hubs that have existed in one form or another. Um, 15, 20 years ago, I imagine they existed mostly within, within corporates as that place where a lot of innovation happened for an organization. But as time went on, especially 10, 11 years ago, we began to see a lot of independent hubs um, come up. And by independent, I mean that they were not necessarily affiliated to um, universities or to, to large corporates and so on. Um, and, and what has happened with, with this rise of innovation hubs, and depending on which study you read, there's close to 700 innovation hubs across the African continent, is many of them have come out of a need to have neutral spaces where innovators can congregate. And for me, I like to relate this to when I was growing up and we had uh, football matches that would happen after school and over the weekends and yes it was great football that that was happening but also it was more than the football it was about what happened when people went to watch the football or went to play the football and so for people like me who weren't necessarily playing it was about who i met what i learned and so as as the youth convened in those spaces then other people began to realize uh, that is a place that attracts youth to it and so we should take advantage of it and so then you had food vendors coming to sell you know, their food, or you had people running uh, programs for youth coming to talk about their programs at these matches. And I, I feel as though that kind of translates to what hubs are now and what they have been for close to 10, 11 years across the African continent. They're that place where you're more likely going to find that demographic of youth, not only youth, but you know, for purposes of this conversation, that demographic of youth that you want to interact with, um, that, that potentially are wanting to build solutions, but are just looking for, the, for, for different kinds of support that they can use to build those solutions. And so a lot of youth that are going into hubs are looking for uh, opportunity. Um, they're looking for networks. They're looking for safe spaces where they can begin to, to explore their ideas. And this is the benefit that I feel uh, that hubs have for many years now been bringing to, to ecosystems. They are that place, and I like to say it's the place where you leave your title at the door. Uh, it's a convening space, and so it doesn't matter whether you're an 18-year-old innovator or whether you're a 50-year-old CEO of a corporate. Many times when you walk into a hub, it's about what innovative idea are you bringing to the table or what kind of support are you bringing um, to, to kind of build out that, that innovative idea. Uh, are you open to collaboration? A lot of the hubs that, that exist now, one of their core values is open collaboration, open innovation. And what that means basically is that you understand that good ideas are going to come from anywhere and you're open to that, right? And so whether you're a CEO sitting at the table, whether you're 18 year old, you know, an idea that you want to explore, whether you're male, whether you're female, you know, whether you're in primary school or secondary school, hubs have become that place where everyone comes with what their idea is and the way that they want to support that idea. And then there's great collaboration um, working. And this is what hubs bring, uh, bring to the table for me. Um, and so there's startups, yes, for sure, because everyone wants a successful startup. But then there's also the relevant skill that you get taught, and Bethlehem spoke to this as well. When you walk into a hub, if you're not looking to build a startup, you're more perhaps also looking to, to hone your skills. And so there's lots of courses that are taking place in innovation hubs. Right now, as AfiLabs, you're working on a lean data, um, lean, lean data module that we want to introduce to our hubs and to the entrepreneurs that they support. Uh, we are also looking at something around cybersecurity. And so there's always going to be this fresh content that you can get from hubs. And so hubs are really critical in advancing these skills that you continuously talk about that youth need to empower themselves with with regards to future of work. And then there's also connections that are going to be made. Um, many times, I've got several stories of, of startup founders that met their co-founders uh, in innovation spaces. They Innovation spaces tend to bring this sense of, of trust that comes to it. When you come in and you're really open-minded and wanting to meet people, that's where the connections begin, that's where the relationships begin, and that's where trust be begins to be built. And so many times the people that become really important in helping you advance 
um, an idea that you might have with the people that you've met at a hub. And then finally, for me, it's in the ecosystems that hubs begin to catalyzed within the communities. And Bethlehem spoke to this as well. Uh, the people that are closest to, to challenges will more likely be the people that take lead in, in innovating for, for those challenges. Um, there are people that will more likely use the solutions that, that, that are developed towards those challenges. And so hubs have become core um, or that melting pot in which an ecosystem begins to develop. You have your innovators and then you have your researchers that are interested in exploring different ideas. And so you have academia coming in as well. Um, you have corporates who are also looking to disrupt their work. And many times within our context, at least, we find that corporates are beginning to come into hubs to kind of collaborate on new innovative ways that they can um, do work within their organizations. And then there's public sector, and many of our governments are now beginning to embrace, you know, concept of agile governance, are now beginning to embrace ways in which they can kind of fast track startups to where they can build solutions that governments can begin to take advantage of. And in many African countries, I feel that um, governments are the biggest buyer of tech products or innovative products that the youth are beginning to build. And so hubs tend to bring all these interesting players into one place, and I like to say that when you have all those people in one place, the worst thing that could happen is magic. It hardly ever goes wrong, and so hubs really play a critical role in bringing the right players um, to the table, Louise. Fantastic. Um, that, that's absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure that there are people, I'm sure, you know, don't forget people online, you know, this is your opportunity to ask um, uh, ask ask questions, so please do um, post your questions in the chat, and we'll we'll get to them um, later on. I think we we need to move on. I've got um, I've got lots of questions myself, but um, but I think we need to move on um, to bring in our our final um, panelist. And uh, Gituku Ngene has been um, he's been collaborating with the Youth Forward Learning Partnerships work on on youth and and tech. Um, and Gituku is a strategy and an innovation and a learning expert, um, and he's got an extensive experience in sustainable development and economic transformation in frontier markets. And, and he's currently leading on strategy and innovation for Mercy Corps' youth employment portfolio um, across 17 countries in Africa. And he's focusing on um, driving the agency's youth employment strategy, um, the partnerships, the program delivery um, that are anchored on tech innovations, um, working on market systems, impact investments, um, and doing this in partnership with Mercy Corps Investment Vehicle, which is a, a social venture fund, um, but also with local and global investment players and other stakeholders. So a really nice sort of bridge, I think, from what from what Nikesa was saying about about the hubs. Um, and Gituku can, um, you know, also talk a little bit more about you know what what then happened, what what happens next. Um, but I just want to start, I want to check, Gituku, there might be people on this call who really aren't that familiar with the term job tech, which um, I've used a couple of times. Could you could you start by just explaining what job tech is exactly, and then talk about how it's affecting youth employment in the digital economy? Sure. Th thanks, Louise. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, when we talk about job tech, it's a relatively new uh, term, not necessarily a new phenomenon. But um, if you think about, you know, um, what, we, what, what we've seen within the innovation landscape um, across the world and more specifically in Africa, um, we are seeing an increased use of technology to, enab to enable, to facilitate, um, as well as improve access to uh, work, um, you know, for populations and particularly young populations. Um, and, and so, even as we think about how do we centralize um, and you know sort of have a specific definition around this phenomenon that we are seeing, then you know the term job tech or you know job tech as a practice or as an area then then comes into play, and this is this is one area that you know um, Masiko um, alongside you know multiple players within the region um, have started defining, um, and you know as we see in other spaces, um, you know fintech, agritech, edtech has been you know these these have been sectors that have been quite mature um, and very well defined and have an ecosystem around them. And more recently, we are working uh, with players to sort of you know define a stronger ecosystem um, around the job tech phenomenon. And part of what we're doing actually recently, we just launched um, a website around this, which is the jobtechalliance.com. Uh, 
which will be bringing different players in this ecosystem together uh, to try and nurture um, and drive this innovation. But more specifically, why job tech is critical for Africa um, is because you know we we're in a continent where more than 38 percent of the population, at least according to ILO, um, you know, are defined as the working poor. So you know, a very big um, gap um, of you know young people who are looking for jobs and you know the availability of jobs. But even for those who are in you know jobs, um, you know, there's a very big element of this population that is in the informal sector. Actually, in Kenya. 90% of um of the labor force um is in the informal sector and these are people who are invisible to services to opportunities both within government and private sector and that will need to sort of be brought to the fore and part of what we are seeing job tech doing is really you know ex you know bring these people to the surface in a way that they can get services um and opportunities uh, in a way that they couldn't before um, the other thing about job tech that we are seeing is the emergence of hyperlocal solutions, and I think uh, Bethlehem alluded to this. Um, and you know, these are you know solutions that are very you know uh, targeted towards local populations that you know uh, sort of reach the grassroots. When you think about young people and entrepreneurs, etc., um, and you know that are really led by young African youth and for young Africa youth. So, so this in itself sort of speaks to a very um, budding ecosystem that you know needs a lot of um effort to so, sort of centralize and sort of you know drive forward um across all elements of this ecosystem that's thanks katuku that's super insightful um i want to um ask you one thing though one of the challenges in the covid recovery is that the people who are buying services from job tech platforms um, and employing gig workers, um, you know, they're also suffering. Their incomes have, have have fallen, and so the danger is that this becomes a bit of a race to the bottom with job tech platforms pushing down wages and pushing down social protection. And there've been, you know, there've been court cases, um, certainly here in the UK and the and the states about that. But what are the lessons from this? Um, and I think more importantly, are there examples of where platforms are getting this right? Because we always talk about, you know, what are the problems? But are there some innovative examples of where? job tech is kind of getting this right? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think COVID has really exposed, you know, um, the underbelly of the gig sector and generally, you know, like job tech in general um, from, from a couple of fronts. And I think, you know, um, even before COVID, the issue around the race to the bottom, you know, sort of came up, you know, with budding platforms sort of, you know, pushing workers on the edge. And I think we've spoken um, about this, you know, for a while now around, how can we achieve that balance between delivering efficient services at a fair price uh, while ensuring that, you know, workers, you know, still remain um, resilient and are not, you know, we don't sort of, you know, we don't worsen their vulnerability. Um, and, and one of the initiatives that, you know, is, is being pushed, you know, both by and with uh, gig platforms um, is the Fair Work platform, you know, the Fair Work initiative. Um, which, you know, which essentially says or, you know, is, is encouraging gig platforms to, you know, focus on um, a number of things. So one, fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, um, management and fair representation of gig workers. And essentially this is really, you know, around putting the worker at the core um, and, you know, really championing their interests, even as we look at, you know, supporting them. And, and that's also part of the focus that we'll have among other things within the Job Tech Alliance, um, you know, whose membership will also constitute the platforms themselves, where, you know, we sort of see how do we achieve that balance and how do we ensure that we are um, speaking to the workers. And I think one other area where um, we've seen platforms, you know, coming in very strongly um, is around, you know, like um, looking into, you know, the social protection of workers. So in Africa, quite a number of platforms now are, you know, developing um, security mechanisms for workers, uh, whether that's insurance. So we've seen platforms like Sandy, uh, Safe Border, um, Integrate uh, Solutions, um, you know, around insurance and saving products into their platforms, which, you know, are for the betterment of the workers. But we've also seen new innovators coming in and designing interesting financial products. So, for example, Imalipay, which is focusing on Nigeria and Kenya, uh, this possession, which is Kenya, Kenyan based. Um, these are platforms that have been working with gig um, and work platforms 
to ask, you know, how do we structure um, products um, that, you know, support workers and that ensure that, you know, um, their, vulner their vulnerability is reduced while their resilience is strengthened. Great. So that yeah. So some good examples of of what's what's um what's happening and um and and where things are being done well. Um, the the questions are coming in thick and fast in the chat. So please do add add your own. Um, I've got a couple that I think maybe Nikesh and 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 Bethlehem, I might direct those at you. Um, so uh, once somebody has asked um about this um you know tech innovation often seems to be focused in 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 cities um but how can we better support rural youth tech access and i wonder if i could just expand that a little bit um and maybe nikesh if you could start with that and then and then betelham come in about inclusivity in general and i think gituka was talking about the, the issue of fairness but nikesh what do you what are your views on how to make sure that that hubs and and innovation centers are are, are truly inclusive whether that's urban rural whether it's disadvantaged groups and you know whether it's you know men and women how do you, how do you how, what do you do there um wow that's a difficult question <laughs> i think <Sorry>. hubs uh, <laughs> so hubs, hubs do several things and it's really dependent on what their particular situation is and and so what inclusion would mean for them and what i mean by that is that inclusion for a hub in a major city in africa may be different for inclusion in a hub that's based in a remote area right um and and so inclusion for one example, inclusion for a hub in Nairobi might be that uh, if we're having a program for youth or for children, uh, then we want to make sure that we invite um, children from different schools to attend. So it shouldn't only be schools based in one part of Nairobi, it should be schools based from across Nairobi, right? So, so that might be what inclusion means for, for a hub in Nairobi. Uh, but if you're talking about inclusion for a hub in, in a rural town, um, in a village, then for them, inclusion might be uh, this innovative solution that we're building. Uh, how do we explain it so that we want to build? How do we explain it in their local language, perhaps? So that's what inclusion might mean. Um, and so that's what I mean, that it's, it, 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 really, it really is, you need to contextualize it to who you're speaking about, uh, what the situation is. Um, but my thoughts on inclusion and, and also on how we ensure that regardless where you are, that, you're, that you do have the opportunity to innovate is in the democratization of the whole innovation process. And how we see it within the hub model is uh, increasingly we see hubs now act acting collectively. And so in Kenya, for example, you have what's called the Association of Startup and SME Enablers in Kenya. A majority of those hubs, these are hubs and other types of entrepreneurship support organizations coming together in um, an organized form. Uh, but, but what you see is that majority of them are Nairobi based. And, and so what has come out as a result of that is that we've had countrywide hubs um, association that has been launched as well. Uh, and they specifically focus on hubs that are outside of, of Nairobi. Not to say that their interests won't be represented by the Association of Startup and SME Enablers, but to say that if they come in as a collective, as hubs outside of Nairobi, then they begin to divert attention, rightfully, to innovation outside of mm -hmm. Nairobi. I feel that as an ecosystem uh, in Kenya, for example, we've really been done a disservice and we've done ourselves a disservice uh, by measuring our success or defining our success by what has happened in the major cities. And when we speak of uh, the Silicon Savannah and speak about Kenya being a Silicon Savannah, I think to be honest, we're really speaking about Nairobi being a Silicon Savannah, if at all. And so how, how do we unearth the innovation coming out of other ecosystems that are not in major cities, whether Nairobi or um, uh, say Lagos, for example? Uh, what measures do we put in place? I think is what we need to begin thinking about. Uh, I think a great way to do it is to begin from the approach that there is innovation happening outside of major cities. It may take a different form. What innovation means to someone in a major city may be different from what it means to someone um, in a rural city because it's about again contextualization and what makes sense for them and what solutions are they building on right and so yeah. if you begin from there that innovation happens across 
across countries, across ecosystems, then we can then begin to pile on these other support services that you've spoken about. We can begin to pile on um, what other skills do they need? Uh, do we need to disseminate information about this innovation in different languages? Um, do we need to look at different uh, uh, devices that they would need to use based on the kind of data or connectivity that they have? Um, and, and so that's how you begin to include uh, other communities when it comes to, to innovation. Finally, I think the other thing that you'd also look at would be, for example, when it comes to using, how does this innovation, how can it be used by people with disability? You know, am I building something that can be used by people across sectors, whether male, female, whether it's disability or not disability, um, whether they've gotten a certain skill or haven't gotten a certain skill, and if they haven't, they haven't gotten that particular tech skill, then we go into digital literacy as a way of ensuring inclusion. And so that's what I meant that it's, it's so difficult because you just keep unpacking and unpacking things, you know, different demographics that you need to pay attention to when you're ensuring that something is truly inclusive. Yep, thanks. Great, thank you. Thank you. Very comprehensive, um, very comprehensive answer. We've got a couple more questions coming in, but I forgot to open our poll, sorry. Um, uh, we, we we've got a poll um, on Slido, and we'd really like to um, to hear what you think. So keep the questions coming in. Um, but while you do that, um, I think you know the poll has now been opened, and we'd love to hear from you whether you think that digital technologies you currently use do a good job of representing the cultures, values, and needs of young people. So. We don't know quite sort of the demographics of who's on the of who's in the audience, but we'd really like you to think about whether what you use today do you think represents the cultures, values, and needs of of the young people that you're concerned about. Um, so please vote away, and if you've answered somewhat or not at all, please tell us why, um, and you can put you can put that in the chat. Um, so I know Gituku, you're you're quite keen to come in on this rural urban issue, and then I want to come to to Bethlehem on a on a question about the future of work, and then there's another question that's really getting upvoted in the chat, um, which is about um, how does the hub safeguard ideas. But maybe Gituku on the rural urban question, um, your thoughts? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 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 on this. Um, I just want to speak to the role that organizations like Masico um, and other, you know, um, philanthropic organizations could play uh, when it comes to bridging the rural urban uh, gap. Um, and we've seen this because, you know, as much as, you know, the, the job tech ecosystem is growing, um, it continues to, if, if, if left unchecked, that gap will only grow wider. Um, and, and part of this will be, you know, like thinking around and, and this we've tried um, this at Masico through some of our programs. Um, organizations like ourselves really understand these, um, you know, marginalized areas, you know, compared to uh, the innovators. And part of what we've tried to do is handhold, you know, um, the innovators through some of these landscapes that might be very um, unfamiliar to them. And, and what this involves is, you know, working with them to pilot their solutions in these rural areas, whether that's through, you know, like um, grant funding or technical assistance um, that really says, let's take your idea, let's test it out um, in, in a particular um, area and and let's see how it plays out. Um, and so, you know, with with one such company in Uganda, we tried out, you know, um, uh, a, a digital um, platform through which, you know, they could, you know, support a savings mechanism for, you know, farmers to sort of, you know, use a layaway system to um, get their inputs. Um, we also worked with a with 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 a. Uh, skills platform in Kenya uh, to help, you know, to try and see if we could, you know, spy innovation bootcamps, um, you know, in secondary cities in Kenya. And, and, and to that point, you know, like, it's really about how can we work with secondary cities? So, you know, second or third tier cities away from, you know, the major cities. And we see this as gateways to, you know, like the very rural areas. So most of the young people will try and come to, you know, these that tire cities as, you know, areas where they look for work. And that will be a very interesting gateway to tap into, you know, like very rural areas. Because the reality is, you know, for digital platforms going to those, you know, very marginalized areas might not be practical. But when we see uh, secondary cities as areas where we can sort of 
layer on the next level of innovation outside the cities, then there could be um, a very viable opportunity there. Um, the last point is around inf infrastructure. Um, I think that continues to be a big gap. Uh, we've run into this challenge. Um, we, we, we are currently implementing a micro solution in Uganda. And the issue around infrastructure and internet connectivity has been one of our biggest drawback. And that's something that we've had to you know sort of make an investment towards in in partnership um with cisco um to you know to to sort of you know support um you know that infrastructure gap um and you know ensure that young people in these spaces are being um provided with access to um the kind of innovation support um and facilities that we see in the big cities Great, thank you. Thanks, Kutuku. And I know, you know, I mean, infrastructure is a is a perennial um, perennial problem here. But I like to sort of broaden this out a little bit. And and Bethlehem, I wonder, can you um, can you sort of share your thoughts about the future of work for youth in a in a post COVID world or whatever, you know, the new normal looks like? And and in the context of um, how the opportunity for digital innovation has changed since COVID has you know, really highlighted the digital divide in pretty much every country across the world? Um, yeah, um, that's a good question. I think, um, the I think the basis for me to answer this question would be a book I read, uh, which is called The 21 Skills for the 21st Century, which is, I think, gives a really good insight about what should we expect? Because we don't really know what to expect. Because if you remember when uh, cars first came about and people were using horses, they had no idea how, why these cars would be created or when they would be created. Even the jobs you see today, for example, social media management, data scientists, these are kind of the skill sets, um, the, the jobs that you didn't have imagined to become because of these new innovations and these new creations that have come about. And as humans, you know, we have two types of skills, which is the physical and the cognitive. So a lot of things have been done in the industrial revolution in terms of like, you know, uh, building machines uh, uh, that will, you know, kind of replace the human capability of doing those things and doing it more efficiently. And now we've come to that age where we're building AIs and we're building more intelligent machines, which are kind of handling the cognitive part of things. So what we can see is we don't really know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future of work is, but what we understand is that as I mentioned, the skill sets that are needed. So going from riding a horse to driving a car is, it's very easy. The training could be uh, in a very short time. But when you think about, okay, how about, you know, uh, do, being an accountant to managing a drone, you know, that's kind of a, a huge skill gap that we have there. So I think uh, even though we don't know how the future of work is going to be, we understand what kind of skill sets there are. So that's why we need to update ourselves and we need to get these skills uh, to, we need to give the skills to the youth so that whenever these kind of tools come up, they can adapt themselves quickly. Because COVID, what it has shown us is that, you know, schools have become online and a lot of things have become online. And we've seen that a lot of majority of the population, especially in Africa, has been left out because of connectivity. And what you can see is that a lot of governments, as, as they should, is are kind of delaying progress since now because you know people are losing jobs people need connectivity to work you know uh, and these are kind of issues that kind of weigh heavily on the government and the government has have been trying to delay these process because technology is moving so fast but what COVID has done is kind of show us okay you know this is where we are right now and we need to improve we need to move fast in order to uh, make kind of a more inclusive uh, um, development and grow together. So I think that's kind of my uh, outlook on the future of work. But if uh, people are interested, I think a huge, huge recommendation to read the 21 lessons for the 21st century. I think it would give a really good insight. Thank you, Mutat Luis. Yeah, it's been 16 months of me forgetting to unmute myself when I talk. I'm so sorry. Um, 
so talking about these the cognitive um cognitive capacities how can we make sure that, that that people retain ownership of their ideas? So there's a question from um, Aramide Abe, I think, which says, um, what are hubs doing to safeguard the ideas shared by newbies from being poached by experienced developers or corporate entities? Um, Nikesa, maybe that's a question for you. Yeah, well, the first thing is just in, you know, general information around what, what can actually be, be protected and, and what can't. And, you know, we always like to give the example if you, I, I personally have my brilliant ideas, they come when I'm sharing. And so if I come up with this really brilliant idea for a thing that I want to do and I'm sharing and I go Google it, there's going to be a million other people doing it. Yeah. So, so, so where is the value of an idea is the first question um, that a lot of people should be asking. And then once you find that value, then yes, how do you protect it? And hubs are doing a lot of work in that space. One, um, they're learning exactly how to, how to help innovators protect their ideas. And so hubs, you could think of hubs a lot as people that learn skills to pass them on. When you think of trainers of trainers, this is a lot of the work that hubs do. Uh, but then other than that, um, a lot of hubs now either have uh, a lawyer or a legal firm that sits within their hub specifically to kind of give this support to organizations and to startups. And if they don't, they definitely have lots of, of modules, lots of, of um, uh, classes, you know, around how to protect your idea. So are you talking about patents, trademarks? trade secrets and so on. So they demystify this stuff a lot for innovators and then kind of push them in the right direction to, to what they should be looking to do around um, securing uh, their ideas. So definitely a huge component of what hubs do now is around either directly or in collaboration with legal partners supporting innovators to protect their ideas. You muted again. Sorry, I was told very fiercely to mute myself when I wasn't speaking, and um, I'm just so enthusiastic about this panel that sorry, I can't, I can't help it. We're all human, um, but so, so that that does bring me to um, to an, an, another a sort of a, a linked question, which is the role of universities in all of this. And the universities are sort of the traditional sort of powerhouse of of um, um, you know sort of the the, the cognitive skills that Bethlehem that, that that you were talking about. Do, what what role do you see universities playing in in all of this um, and in supporting these emerging innovation ecosystems? And there, have you got any good examples of existing collaborations? But uh, Bethlehem, I'll, I'll I'll ask you that one. Okay, um, so the universities are very very essential uh, to an ecosystem because when we always talk about you know the Silicon Valley, there's always this. Uh, university at the center, which is Stanford, right? We always talk about. And these core elements of what we call an ecosystem, uh, one of the things is talent, because, you know, uh, this ecosystem, especially the startup, the tech ecosystem is highly reliant on people, people who can innovate, who can create, who can come up with ideas. And universities have a huge responsibility of producing that talent. Um, as you can see, a lot of um, a lot of uh, online courses are now becoming free and a lot of people are gaining access. But in a lot of cities uh, and in a lot of countries, it, you, you know, still companies and organizations rely on institutions such as universities to produce talent. So I think it's really important to kind of uh, create that collaboration and also uh, kind of keep them updated because since they're like huge organizations, it's usually uh, hard to change things around. And one of the good examples um, I have actually us working with universities is whenever we launch campaigns and in Ethiopia, these universities have their own kind of um, department which they call community service or community reach out in which they work with high schools uh, in the nearby area and they also create centers where people could come and uh, innovate because they know these are the kids that are going to come to their universities next so they kind of create those platforms where they come together they learn the skill sets they need and they kind of learn from that lessons to improve um to improve but also kind of create new solutions for for the people we also utilize universities are huge they have big resources on internet they have uh you know training centers so 
we use that um, in order to run our multiple programs. So the universities have really been uh, a good partner for us in Ethiopia. And since their location in Ethiopia, we have around 42 universities right now, which are huge public universities. So they're very integral to the ecosystem, the local sustainable ecosystem uh, we're trying to build. Thanks, Kichiko. I know that um, you'd quite like to come in on this um, on this question of universities. I just want to say we've now got more questions in the chat than we can than we can actually um, find time to answer. So I'm really sorry if we're not going to be able to to answer your question. But Kichiko, um, I know you'd like to chime in on the on the role of universities. But I wonder, could you also maybe talk about the need to um, get some of these concepts out into different languages, into different communities, so that we really can sort of truly democratize um, the, 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 um, the, the innovative um, sort of impetus that exists in every single community. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I'll start with the point around universities and then I'll come back to the inclusion question um, from uh, language and getting into the grassroots perspective. Um, two, two points around um, the role of universities. Um, I think in Kenya we are seeing um, you know, a closer collaboration between uh, the universities and, um, you know, like the private sector and the companies more, more, more to be more specific, um, especially as we think about this future of work question. And, and you know, um, Bethlehem alluded to this bit around, you know, how do we upskill the workforce? How do we ensure that we are, you know, layering on skills for the future, uh, both within workers who are coming into the market as well as those who are within the market. And I think for the longest time, there has been a strong focus on, you know, like um, the pipeline that's coming into the work market, but we often forget, um, we often forget about, um, you know, like workers who are within the market. And one good example of where collaboration has had quite some, you know, interesting impact is, in Kenya, we've seen collaboration between Strathmore University um, and private sector players like Safari. Oh no, Gatuka was getting the really interesting bit. We'll 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 bring him we'll bring him back in um, when his when his connection. Uh, when his connection re reconnects, but it, in the meantime, I think we need to. Um, I'm sorry if you've asked a question. Um, uh, Katuka, you're back. You were just talking about, uh, I think, Safaricom. Yeah, so so sorry about my connectivity. Um, yeah, so so I was just saying, you know, those kind of partnerships where, you know, that that allow universities to upskill um, the labor force within existing, you know, within within the existing, you know, the existing labor force, um, you know, with skills for the future. So um, in that particular example, you know, data science, AI, machine learning have been areas that, you know, um, that partnership has focused on. Um, and then more specifically, um, looking at um, your question on, on how do we ensure that this is speaking to um, local context. Can you, can you confirm, Luis, that you can still hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we can hear you. I think I think the connection has has dropped. Yeah, Gituka, I think Gituka has frozen. Gituka. In the meantime, I think we sorry we need to um, we need to move to begin to to close the section. So I wonder if we could ask um, Bethlehem if I can ask you, and then I'll come to you, Nikessa. For your final words, what's your sort of key takeaway message? If you had a minute to give us a um, a soundbite, um, what 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 would you say? Um, I would say that we need uh, to focus on building institutions, institutions that ensure that education is provided. You know, policies uh, are formulated by the government and are actually implemented. So I think building these institutions not only for the sake of now, but 
in longevity and making sure that we learn through the different experiences of uh, different global players or countries, I think is really important. And as um, uh, Ethiopia, as what I've seen, we have a lack of institutions. Uh, we don't see a lot of longevity and we don't see a lot of them working towards the same goal. So I think collaborating and coming together is really important and understanding when to collaborate and when to compete is a really, really uh, important uh, you know, understanding. So that's that's what I would say. Great, thank you so much, Nikessa. How about you? What's your what's your sort of key takeaway from all of this? Uh, I've I've seen a lot of the questions have alluded to how to actually get things to to work and go beyond theory. And and for me, it's all about the collaborations. We're all part of a whole, whether the hubs or innovators or policy makers public sector, private sector, and the key is in finding that point of shared value where we can all begin to actually do stuff. We do have the resources, it's just a matter of using them uh, and, and making stuff happen. And, and then specifically for the youth, I'd say there's lots of resources up there. Hubs are not for everyone, so if you don't want to walk into a hub, walk into some other space, walk into a university, you know, something. There's lots of resources out there that you can use to your advantage. And even if you find that those resources don't exist, then my challenge to you is to create them and, and speak so we can hear you and make those resources um, exist for you. Oh, and finally, um, because I know we didn't get to a lot of the questions, I would really love to engage lots of wonderful questions from everyone, from Katie, from Dr. Karanja. So I'm available on nakesa at afilabs.com. I would love to continue um, the conversations that have started in the Q&A. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so, um, yeah, um, that's an, there's, there's an invitation for, um, for a, an interaction with Nikesa, which is fantastic. Gituku, sorry we lost you, but you're, you're back now. Um, we've, um, we're, we're, we're drawing to the, the end of the, um, of the webinar, but I wonder what's your, we've just heard from Bethlehem and, and Nikesa, they're sort of, you know, their key takeaways from this. What would, what would you say is your, your key point, your sort of your, your soundbite message that you'd like to leave us all with? Sure. Um, yeah, hopefully the internet won't have one on me, um, but thanks for being so patient and understanding. Yeah, I, I think overall, uh, we, you know, my punchline, um, we see there's an opportunity around job tech. Um, and I think increasingly we are seeing, um, you know, the continent embracing job tech and it playing a very definitive role when it comes to the issue around the labor force and access to work. Um, now, it could be, you know, we, it has positive and negative effects, right? A positive in the sense that, you know, we see an opportunity to formalize the workforce, to create open opportunities, to hyper-localize um, the solutions for young people um, across the continent. But of course, it comes with, you know, um, this negative connotation, uh, which we have largely seen in the West, but which Africa has an opportunity to sort of, you know, um, address early enough by putting in the right institutions, um, you know, the right mechanisms to ensure that workers um, are protected and that they thrive within this ecosystem. And, and overall, I think there's that need for, you know, players in this space to come together and build that ecosystem, which is something that we are championing um, within Masico. And I really encourage, you know, anyone who's interested in this space to, to, to join us again, you know, through um, the initiative website, uh, that's the JobTech, uh, JobTechAlliance.com. JobTech is, JobTechAlliance is one word. Um, and, and I think overall, I think that collaboration between different actors we'll really see um, this sector growing uh, and thriving over the next, over the coming years. Fantastic, thank you so much. Um, and just, I'm delighted that, that your, your connection allowed you to um, rejoin us and to, uh, to give us your, your final thoughts. Um, that does bring us to time today um, on this webinar. I'm sorry we weren't able to get to all the questions, but, um, but please do, um, do email Nikesa. <laughs> She, she's invited your um, uh, invited your questions and and your comments. So so please do. And um, just to give you the result of the of the poll. So the question was: Do you think that the digital technologies you currently use do a good job of representing the cultures, values, and needs of young people? Um, and it's interesting. So um, 
it's about two thirds, one third, pretty much. It's the, so people who answered somewhat, but more needs to be done is 64% and not at all is 24%. So I think the 24% who answered not at all, you've got your work cut out and Nikessa was inviting you. If the space doesn't match what you need, go create it, go create that space. Um, but I, I really would like to thank um, Bethlehem and Nikessa and Gituku for taking time from their very hectic schedules um, to share their knowledge with us today. I've certainly learned a huge amount. I want to thank everybody um, who's here for attending and anybody who's listening to us post-event on our um, SoundCloud or our YouTube channels. Um, we know it remains a challenging year for, for everybody. So thank you for sharing your time and your comments and your thoughts and your questions with us today. Um, to all of you who registered, you will be able to watch this event again um, on the ODI um, website in the coming days or on YouTube. Um, and we encourage you to share your content to keep the conversation going far and wide. Um, I would like to make a special mention um, and to thank the MasterCard Foundation and the Youth Forward Learning Partnership team uh, and all the young people across the African continent who shared their perspectives um, with the team during the Youth Forward project. Um, and without them, the research that has been done um, would neither be for youth or, or by youth. Um, so special shout out to the MasterCard Foundation for that. Um, and I think that's that's it. We're we're at the end of the of the webinar. So I want to thank everybody for joining, and particularly our our three very distinguished panelists. Um, we hope you have a great rest of rest of the week, and look forward very much to meeting you all again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>